We're going to be looking at a passage today from John's gospel, wrapping up a series about the gospels. And um, we're going to go back to an image that we used a few weeks ago. This kind of uh, traditional way of symbolizing the four gospels. And we've been asking the question, why do we have four gospels? Why Matthew's gospel? Matthew is symbolized with a... uh, Symbolized, uh, the symbol is a man. Um, I know he has wings, but you'll notice that all of these symbolic creatures have wings. So Matthew's symbol is not an angel. It's a man with wings, right? And uh, Mark's a lion with wings. So when when you see that symbol for Matthew's gospel, think of that man as a teacher, we need a teacher, a discipler, someone to tell us what right priorities are. We have Matthew's gospel because Jesus is the master teacher. It teaches us what true priorities are for our lives. Mark's gospel symbolized by a lion. Think of the ferocity, how fierce a lion is. Mark's gospel is written for people who are struggling with doubt people who are afflicted, and their trials are causing them to be afraid. And Mark's gospel reminds us that Jesus is a servant king who has fierce love for people who are full of fear and doubt. Last time we looked at Luke's gospel, Luke gets an ox as a symbol. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was picking my symbol, I don't think I'd choose an ox. The ox is the most powerful of domestic animals in the ancient world. So a domestic animal is one you're going to take for granted. Nobody thinks much about their car, right? In the ancient world, nobody thinks much about their ox. He's just there. He's just part of ordinary, dull, routine, normal life. We need Luke's gospel because we need to know that Jesus is, is this radical, humble king who comes to invest in the lives of ordinary, lost, least, overlooked people and to restore dignity and respect and honor to those who are too humble to pay much attention to. Right? So that's Luke's gospel, symbolized by an ox. And today we come to John's gospel. The symbol for John's gospel is an eagle. In some churches, you'll see an eagle here on the pulpit so that as the scripture is read, you kind of have this sense of, of the, the eagle's wings are supporting God's words. Why an eagle? Well, eagles have great eyesight. I don't know if you know this about eagles, but uh, their, their eyesight is almost four times as good as yours and mine on our best day. So uh, if you can see that clearly, imagine sitting four times as far away and seeing it even more clearly. An eagle can see with penetrating depth. So what we're going to learn today about Jesus is that there are hidden depths to, to who he is. Surprising hidden depths about who he is and what he has come to do and why it is that we need him. We have John's gospel in order to begin to see some of these hidden depths about the one we know to be the servant king, the one who exalts the lowly, 
the one who teaches right priorities, the one Savior, the Lamb of God. Surprising depths about who he is. So, on Palm Sunday, John chapter 12, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem, people shouted that he was the king. There are surprising depths to what it means that Jesus is the king. Shortly before that, in John chapter 11, Jesus had a conversation with a lady named Martha because he wanted to show her and he wants to show us hidden depths of who he is and what he's come to do. So let's open our ears as Scripture opens our eyes to see these new depths of who our Savior is. Jim Wirt's going to read for us from John chapter 11. And I have new appreciation for the irony of putting on my reading glasses as I read the Eagle Gospel. From the Gospel of John chapter 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jim. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know it until we moved to Missouri. Missouri is called the cave state. There are um, more caves in Missouri than any other state of the Union. And uh, one of those caves that we had opportunity to explore a couple times is called Onondaga Cave. It's kind of a cool concept, right? A cave, there are these hidden depths to explore, and uh, you don't even know they're there unless somebody shows you the, the way in to the cave. Onondaga Cave, we toured for, uh, I don't remember exactly, I think we were underground for a good two hours, all kinds of beautiful things to see, and in that couple hours, we, again, I wasn't wearing a Fitbit, but at least a mile, maybe two miles underground, um, incredible how much there is in this one cave to see, to explore. And then you read that um, that's nothing. A couple hours, a couple miles. In Kentucky, who's been to Mammoth Cave? Anybody been there? Yeah? 400 miles of passages that have been discovered so far. There's the possibility 
that this is linked to two other cave systems. So, so the system as a whole may be something like 700 miles. Who knows? You think you've explored a lot and then you find out you're, you're only beginning. I thought two miles underground was a lot. 400 miles? When could you finish? When would you be done seeing all there is to see, knowing all there is to know, exploring all there is to explore? That's John's gospel saying, Jesus is everything you've heard he is and so much more. John's gospel is saying to us, have you read Matthew and Mark and Luke? Great. Everything there is incredible. Guess what? There's even more. The last verse of John's gospel, if you've ever read it, remember it says, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world if we wanted to write down everything Jesus ever did. No matter how far you explore, you never find the end of who Jesus is. There is always more to know. That's what Jesus is saying through this conversation with Martha. We could dip into John's gospel at any point and find this same idea that there are always hidden depths to, to who he is. Today, it's this conversation with Martha. And here's Jesus saying, Martha, I'm glad you believe in me. I'm glad you know who I am. But guess what? There are hidden depths that you don't understand yet. There is a depth to what I've come to do that you don't know anything about yet. I want you to know it. I want to show it to you. And Martha, I want to take you further into belief in me than you would ever imagine possible. Let's see how Jesus does that. We want to start by asking a very simple question. What's happening? What is happening as Jesus comes to have this conversation with Martha? And the the short answer is right there in verse 17 of our text. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. You'll read stories about these three people in, in every gospel. And um, he's a close uh, friend of Jesus. Jesus was a good friend of this family. And uh, Lazarus has died. Um, he's been in the tomb for four days. Why is that important? Well, because it's, it's revealing to us some of the cultural customs that are reflected in this event. There's a custom here of respect, right? The text tells us that Bethany, the village where this family lived, was only two miles from Jerusalem, and many people had come out of the city. This is unusual for people to come out of the city into a small village. It tells us that Lazarus was well-known, well-respected, that Mary and Martha were well-loved by many important people. Right? So, uh, respect. That when someone has died, you, you show respect for the family coming to share their grief. They're making an effort to uh, walk, to be with this family. A couple miles. And they're grieving. Why are they grieving? Well, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Here's a tradition among ancient rabbis. There's really nothing to justify this in Scripture. But nonetheless, tradition among ancient rabbis 
that the soul hovered near the body waiting to get back in after death for three days. So there was kind of a sense of hope that for three days there was the possibility of a miracle that someone who died could, could return to life. But after the three days, the soul has gone away. And so here's this cultural custom being reflected here in the text. Lots of people have come out to show respect, to grieve with this family, but any expectation of a happy ending to this story is gone. And then comes Jesus. And beyond these cultural customs, we start to see some hidden depths in him, a depth of friendship. Great. You people love and respect this family. You're traveling two miles to be with them. Jesus has traveled at least 20 miles, possibly as many as 90. Now, the reason we don't know exactly how many, we know from the end of chapter 10 where Jesus was. He was in the place that John the Baptist had begun doing his baptisms. The problem is we don't know exactly where that was. So some candidates are about 20 miles away from Bethany. Some candidates for where, for where that location was are more like 90. Either way, Jesus has traveled by foot a long way out of friendship. Loves his friends. Wants to be with Mary and Martha. And there's depth of power. Earlier in chapter 11, Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus has died. I am going there to awaken him. Now, this is not because Jesus doesn't understand science, right? He knows the difference between sleep and death. But what he's saying is what Lazarus is experiencing right now is going to come to an end very soon. It's more like he's sleeping than dead because I'm going to bring him back to life. Really? But don't you know the rabbinic custom? Four days is too late. And Jesus says, I know exactly what the custom is. That's why it's really significant that I'm going to show up after he's been in the grave for four days. Because I want the world to know that there are hidden depths of power in me that are beyond what your culture can imagine, beyond what your mind can conceive. And then we have to see there's a hidden depth of love in Jesus in this text. Why would why would why love? I mean, didn't we cover that already with friendship? No, this is something deeper. When Jesus said to his disciples earlier in the chapter, "We're going to go there and and I'm going to wake Lazarus up." Their first response is, "Lord, the last time you were there, people tried to kill you." And yet you want to go there again. And then it becomes significant that many people from Jerusalem have traveled out to Bethany. And they will see Jesus call Lazarus out of the grave. And they will go back to Jerusalem. And they will report to the leaders there. Many people are starting to follow this man even more than before. We've got to do something about it. So by the end of chapter 11, there's a plot to take the life of Jesus. You understand the hidden depths of love that we see in Jesus? Where he says, Martha, I need to have a conversation with you. 
to bring you further into faith in me than you've ever dreamed possible. And I would risk my own life to have that conversation with you. I would give my own life so that you would know the fullness of who I am. I would give my own life so that you could know the fullness of what it is that I have come to do. You know where the story's going, right? Palm Sunday, everybody's happy. Jesus is the king. Good Friday, there's a sign above his head on the cross. Yeah, laugh at the king of the Jews. Some king he must be. That's where the story's going. Because there are hidden depths of love in the heart of Jesus. So now we're ready to understand the conversation that Martha and Jesus have. Let's start by seeing what it is that Martha is saying. Okay? She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, it's possible to read that as an angry statement. Lord, I'm ticked at you. Where were you when I needed you? You're letting me down. I'm disappointed. How could you? Now, I want to say there are plenty of parts of the Bible that show us prayer with a how could you heart flowing out. There are plenty of Psalms that cry out to God. There are plenty of prayers in the prophets that cry out in that way. So it's not wrong to think that sometimes our communication with God would reflect that kind of disillusionment, anger. How could you? I'm not convinced that this is one of those parts of the Bible, though. Okay? When we, when we come to some of those other parts, we'll go there. I, I don't think this is one of those parts. Instead, the more I study, the more convinced I am that, that Martha is simply summarizing grief and disappointment and heartache. Her heart is broken. And she's saying to Jesus, listen to what she says in uh, verse 22. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus I know that you're an incredibly godly man. I know that you are very close to the Father in heaven. And I know that he will give you whatever you ask. I know that. But she's already said in verse 21, if you hadn't been here, I mean, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So putting those together, we hear Martha saying, Jesus, you're such a good man. That God would even spare the life of a terminally ill person if you were the one praying for them. I have great trust in you. I have great respect for you. I believe you are good. I also believe it is too late for you to do anything about it. If you had been here, you would have prayed and the Father would have listened. And my brother would still be alive. But now, it's four days in, it's too late. So here I am with a broken heart, full of grief and disappointment. You hear what Martha is saying? Saying, Jesus, I love you. I respect you. I believe in your goodness. But Jesus... There's just something going on in my life right now that you can't touch. It's bigger than you are. 
It's deeper than you can go. Thank you for being here. It's so wonderful that you traveled all this way. But for now, all I can do is wait for the future. That's where the conversation goes, right? Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And what he means is, hey, in just a few minutes, I'm going to say, Lazarus, come out. He's going to come out. Martha doesn't understand that. She hasn't gone that deep in the cave yet, right? She's still on the Onondaga tour, and Jesus is trying to take her to Mammoth Cave. And so she hears that your brother will rise again, and she says, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know there's a great day coming when God will come into the earth and he will make everything right. And death will be gone forever. He he will wipe away every tear. He will heal every heartbreak. Then my broken heart will be mended. And I can't wait for that day, Jesus. Thank you for reminding me. But for now, in the present, there's just nothing that you can do about it. My heart is too far broken. There's nothing I can do. Just sit and wait for the future. That's what's happening in this conversation. It's not anger. It's heartbreak. It's grief. It's disappointment combined with hope for the future. In this sense that Jesus is good for some things, but there are other things that are just too big for him. You know what that feels like, don't you? Jesus is good for the good times, but there are some hard times when I just have to run somewhere else. Death is one of those hard times for some of us. Jesus is good to comfort you when you're grieving the loss of a loved one, but when I'm grieving the loss of a loved one, I got to find my comfort somewhere else. All I can do is sit and wait for the future because this pain is too deep, even for Jesus. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a child whose parents are going through a divorce and, and, and to maybe have that feeling of, hey, sometime when I'm 50, maybe this pain will go away. So I'll just sit and wait for the future. But for right now, This is too big even for Jesus. You know, Jesus is good when your body's healthy, but when you find out the diagnosis is, what I heard from the doctor the last time I went, then you start looking somewhere else because there's some things that Jesus is just not big enough for. There's some disappointments that Jesus can't touch. And... And sometimes when I feel like a big disappointment, I am the disappointment. And there's, hey, when I die and go to heaven, I know that I'll be gone. But until then, it's just a burden I'm going to carry and there's nothing Jesus can do about it. You know what that feels like. That's why Jesus had this conversation with Martha. To say to her and to say to you and to say to me. 
there is more to me than you realize. I did not come to heal some of the heartaches and leave you to figure out the others on your own. I did not come to take you part of the way into the depth of who I am. I want to bring you deeper and deeper and deeper still. Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you're waiting for the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And I'm the life that comes after the resurrection. It's like Jesus standing in front of somebody who's, who's waiting to be healed of cancer, waiting to have surgery, and saying, Brother, sister, I am the surgery, and I am the recovery. And I am the decades of healthy life that follow. It's, it's like the person who's lost their best friend through a stupid argument and they don't see any way to put it back together again. And Jesus standing and looking us in the eye and saying, friend, guess what? I am the reconciliation and I am the relationship. I am the thing that will make it right and I am the thing that will continue and endure Imagine being the kid who's terrible at school, who just hates it for whatever reason. Sometimes we hate school because the the learning, the academics are okay, but it's the other people who pick on us, give us a hard time. We just can't wait for the school year to be done because we just don't want to have to deal with all that anymore. Sometimes the people are okay, but it is the academics. Every time I walk into this classroom, I'm made to feel stupid because I'm not good at Whatever thing is you're not good at. You know, I could never learn how to even say my name in Spanish class. I felt stupid every time I walked in there. I, I, can, I never got a hold of calculus. I just feel dumb. Or maybe it's just the whole ball of wax. Just every classroom I ever walked into made me feel stupid. And, and Jesus standing in front of that person and saying, Guess what? I am the last day of school and I'm summer vacation. Whatever the hurt is, whatever the ache is, the thing you think that is too deep for me, I am the answer to it. The answer to it is not some distant thing in the future. The answer to it is not a doctrine. It's not an idea. It's not a theory. It's not a teaching. The answer to it is me, the Son of God, the King who came into the world. Go deeper with me. I will heal it. I promise you, whatever it is. Now, Jesus unpacks that in a couple of ways. He says this healing is going to happen in two parts. Future and present. Future. I am the resurrection. At the last day, at some point in the future... I will complete the healing I have come to bring. And at the last day, I will bring my people to life again. And I will give them the life of eternity. I will give them a quality of life that cannot be improved on. And it cannot be diminished. It can't get any better. And nobody can take any of it away. I will give 
all of my people that kind of life in the future. There will be a day of resurrection. Now, think of all the implications. If there's resurrection, there's no more death. If there's no more death, there can't be any more sin, right? Scripture links rebellion against God with death. If death is going to go away, so is rebellion against God. How's that going to happen? Remember Jesus said, Martha, I'm risking my own life to come be here and have this conversation with you. I'm ready to lay down my life so you can know the depth of who I am. I will defeat sin. I will take away death. I will remove every source of heartbreak and heartache from your life forever. And I will complete that in the future. I am the resurrection. And that's what this part of verse 25 means. He who believes in me will live, will have resurrection life even though he dies. And then Jesus says, the healing I'm going to complete in the future, I'm ready to begin right now. Martha, we don't have to wait for the future. I'm not only the resurrection, I am the life. And that life can start right here, right now. That's what verse 26 means. I'm the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And I am the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Whoever has the kind of life that comes from believing in me will die one day. Body will wear out. But I will come again and, and, and there will be resurrection. But there are some parts of death that that person will never know. Now, it's important here that we understand that Jesus is not pretending. He's not saying, let's pretend away death. Let's say it's not really real. Oh, they've gone to a happier place. Isn't it so good that they died? No, it's not good. If death was good, Jesus would still be in the tomb. Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. Death is not good. So Jesus isn't pretending death away. What he's saying is right now, you can set aside some qualities of death and never have to go through them ever again because I went through them for you. That sense of despair that says, what if there's nothing beyond death? You can set that aside right now. You'll never have to go there. That sense of isolation and loneliness. Every relationship I've ever enjoyed is being torn and ripped away from me right now. Jesus said, I went through that. I went through that for you. And right now, you can start to experience this kind of life that says no matter how bad it gets, you will never be by yourself again. Because one person loves you enough to walk 90 miles, 20 miles, to come from heaven, to walk this planet, to show you the depths of his love. You'll never have to wonder if there's condemnation waiting for you from God at the moment of death. 
And that confidence can start right now because Jesus took that condemnation in our place. Hear what Jesus is saying? I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. I came to do all of this for anybody who believes in me. Do you believe in me? Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that there is more to you than I have ever believed before. Yes, Lord. I believe that for you to be the Son of God is something bigger than I've ever understood before. I believe you want me to go deeper than I've ever imagined. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. A few months ago, um, a woman named Sherry Du was baptized in our worship service. Sherry's from China. And she and her family are returning to China very soon. So on Friday, a group of her friends had a going away party for her. And at the party, Sherry just said, you know, one of the things I'm learning as a new believer in Jesus is that no matter how much I learn, there is always more to learn. Sherry's already learning what Jesus was teaching Martha and all of us. Jesus, no matter how much I know you, there's always more to know. No matter how much grace I've received from you, there's always more to receive. No matter how much I've acknowledged my need for you, that need always runs deeper than I've yet understood. No matter how much I've had to lean on you for help and healing and strength and comfort and forgiveness, there is always more Help and healing and strength and comfort and forgiveness. Because you run deeper than I've ever imagined. Welcome to John's gospel. Welcome to Jesus. Do you believe this? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, some of us don't believe this. And maybe the reason is that we've thought you were small enough for us to understand you. And based on our understanding of you, we've evaluated you as being not worthy of our belief. Help us to go deeper. And help us to ask the question how it is that we could reject someone that we haven't yet fully understood. Some of us have believed you. And we've gotten bored with you. And we thought we, we know everything there is to know about you. Because we heard it all last week or last year. Or... Lord, open our hearts. And help us to love you again and trust you more deeply. 
some of us are trusting you with all of life except that one area that we're keeping back for ourselves. Help us to trust our whole hearts to you. And Lord, for those of us who can't believe these depths as we hear words, help us to believe these depths now as we see signs. Broken bread and poured out wine. Your way of saying to us one more time that you would give your life and take it up again so that we could go deeper into a relationship with you. Work through your spirit as we receive your supper. We pray in your name. Amen.